0: The language we use determines the quality of our life. Now, whether it's a spoken language, whether it's what's coming through non-verbally, or just those are thoughts that we allow in or those thoughts that we allow to keep, these are the things for me that I want to share with the world to allow them to get rid of some of these self-beliefs that we have that is detrimental to us and to start to be more conscious, be more present for me It's about being present with the people that I'm with at that time. And I think that's why the service is so strong, because when I'm with you, I want to do the best that I can for you and with you and to listen to you and just be the best version of me at that moment in time. Welcome to the Self Love
1: Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast this week. An incredible soul, Catherine Malloy. She is fun, friendly, and forward thinking. You are going to love this week's podcast. She's a communication expert who reveals the hidden psychology behind connection and influence. She also provides people with the keys to revolutionize their communication effectiveness. She's an international speaker, author, and communication expert, specializing in leadership, sales, and service. This beautiful soul has over 25 years' experience in business, education, speaking, and transforming lives. She believes that business success rests on the ability to build real connection. She also knows that participants will engage, connect, and be more conscious of their communication, Her thought leadership is how to hack the psychology of communication to build lasting connections fast. This beautiful woman has owned and operated several highly successful training companies, and she's been recognized both nationally and internationally as a leader in sales and service training. She has recently been awarded the International Stevie Award in America for Sales Training and Education Leader of the Year. She's also trained internationally and developed the award winning conscious connection framework, which we talk about in today's show. Now, what this beautiful soul also has experience in is 25 years of studying body language, behavioral science, NLP, and absolutely how to radically transform how teams, individuals can self lead and communicate. You are going to really enjoy what she has to share with us today. You might want a pen and paper because there's some beautiful gems. She is married, has three children and two beautiful dogs, and she travels a whole lot between Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, all over Australia, and works with many different cultures worldwide. What is also so beautiful about her is that she has a desire to build multicultural relationships and cultivate healthy communication skills outside of her work. This means that she is a philanthropist and travels to Uganda to help build homes for orphans and vulnerable children. This beautiful soul has a heart bigger than Ben-Hur. I cannot wait for you to hear what she has to share this week. If you are an entrepreneur in particular, you're going to love her insights. But as we know, everything we learn in business can be transferred into our personal lives and vice versa. If you'd like to place your comments and feedback, please head on over to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison, the number 28. You can head on over to Facebook, Kim Morrison Training or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Please share this on all the podcast platforms and your five-star rating never goes unnoticed. It is thanks to you that helps us to get the word out there, the importance of self-love, of connection, how we can take care and be kinder, not only to ourselves, but to everyone who comes into our sphere of influence. Have a wonderful day and enjoy today's show. Cannot wait to hear what you think. Well, what an absolute delight to bring to you this week, one of the Sunshine Coast's most auspicious and powerhouses, particularly in the way in which we support human beings and the way in which we can help people become their best version of themselves. This extraordinary soul has been someone I've been dying to get on the show and share with you. Welcome, gorgeous Catherine Malloy.
0: Thank you so much for having
1: me. Oh, Look, it's such a delight to have you. You really are someone who's trailblazing the world in communication, in helping people understand what it means to be a good leader. You've also had a huge amount of experience in sales and a background in the corporate world. Perhaps you could explain to us, those that may not have heard of you, where and how you got into this whole realm of work that you do today.
0: Well, I believe most of it came through crisis. <laughs> they, you know, they say there's two things that crisis uh, causes, and I believe one of them is uh, when we hit that hit that wall that we might decide to come out fighting. And you know, I started life very briefly. I'll give you a quick backgrounds. Uh, I was orphaned in Australia. And I was adopted around two months old by a wonderful couple who uh, were extraordinarily kind people, kind and loving, never heard them say a bad word about anyone or to anyone, Uh, never hit us, you know, just beautiful, gentle souls. And and then they get this little whirlwind um, girl who's loud and runs and (laughs) um, is a bundle of joy, no doubt, to them. But unfortunately, I lost my mum at 16 and that was a big turning point. She died suddenly in front of me. And I've just had the privilege of um, speaking at Motherless Daughters in Australia. I didn't even know it existed where um, beautiful girls come together that have lost their mums and and share their stories. And they asked me to um, present and speak at their event. So I had a piece of mum's pottery on display that hadn't been out for 40 years. Um, She'd won um, every category in the exhibition uh, in 1980. And it was just amazing to to see it there on display. So she would have been quite quite well-renowned by now. However, um, life had uh, different decisions for her and for us. And so I had a wonderful dad, but unfortunately he died of cancer before I was 30. And I met my husband, I said to him, you know, I don't want to have children, I mightn't be the person I want to be with. And he said, it's okay, I can't have children. He was seven years older than me. You know, I was studying body language, I thought I knew a bit, or maybe I did know too much. And we had three children in three years. So uh, life was quite fun. And then the, the, the next crisis hit, which was the global financial crisis. I woke up one morning and my husband was lying at the bottom of the bed and I looked at him and it was just that moment, I don't know if you've ever had one or anyone who's listening's had it, where you just know that nothing will ever, ever be the same again. You don't know what it's going to look like, but you just know life, as you know, it will never be the same again. And maybe that was from an experience I had when I was 16 and lost mum so suddenly. So, I just remember having one arm on John and thinking, right, what do I need to do, you know, to um, keep our children at school and to to keep the house? And we had 18 staff at work. So I went into the office. and it was a real estate business, which I actually really love real estate, but I think it was, too much for my husband. Um, you know, he's quite a gentle, kind soul again. So he would go out, he, he would price things correctly and they'd go with someone else who overpriced a bit and then they'd come back to him and said, oh, we should have gone with you because it sold for the price. He said, all those sorts of things, I think just built up um, built up in him and with the, with the global financial crisis coming, he felt it was a little too much. So we had to sell the business in that time and unfortunately uh, for us, uh, most things sold 100000 200000 less than they should have. And we lost over a million dollars. We were left with one property and a big debt and no jobs. So I made a decision to start a training company because everyone needs customer service. And I love customer service. I love being able to make people happy, for them to walk away with something that they need or something they didn't even know that they need, but they love it. And um, it's just an absolute joy and delight. Uh, to serve people. So I started that company on the Sunshine Coast and found very quickly no one wanted customer service, even though we needed it. And I think every business should revisit their customer service and their leadership uh, tools every year. So, But everyone wanted uh, leadership. So I um, did the diploma of uh, management and leadership. I uh, have studied and finished my master's at university and I've worked with hundreds of corporates around the world now in the areas of leadership and thank goodness, still customer service. And one of my favorite things, sales, because I think to sell is to serve. So uh, I guess that would probably be um, the quick or long background (laughs) to where I was in my first year of um, starting my training company. I met a lot of people and sold over a million dollars in sales for our training company in our first year. Which was wonderful. A few tears though, because 400,000 of that had to go back to the government in (laughs) tax.
1: Oh my gosh, what a story. And I hope you don't mind me backtracking a little bit because. So many of us, when we tell our story, those crisis moments when we've come out the other side, you know, we're just so glad and relieved and probably done a lot of work (laughs) on ourselves to get there. And yet for someone listening to this for the first time, a couple of things in there, first of all, around adoption, you know, it's a, it's a huge topic for some people. And what I hear is just how grateful you were for your beautiful parents who adopted you. Can you talk us through a little bit about what that feels like to be an adopted child? Is there anything that you've learned or that you've noticed is different for you compared to others or things that you don't take for granted because of being adopted? What could you share with us around that story?
0: Uh, Look, I hope it doesn't trigger um, anyone the wrong way because every adopted person has a different experience. But my experience was my parents told me for as long as I can remember that I was adopted one of my first memories was sitting on the floor. I had a uh, mixing bowl between my legs, licking at a chocolate spoon <laughs> of cake mixture. And I looked at mum and I said, what do you think my mother was like? And she looked at me and she said, she must have been beautiful to have a daughter as lovely as you. So it was just always that warmth, always the storytelling of how much we were. I had an adopted brother as well, how much we were wanted and loved and they were always there. So. It was an amazing experience. You know, they say too blonde. Uh, my, my parents actually had darker hair and beautiful blue eyes. And when I was born, I had this pitch black hair and blue eyes apparently. <laughs> and very quickly, within a month, my hair went light, my eyes went brown. So who knows? So who knows? Um, but, you know, I always felt very special. And I guess it wasn't until I got a little bit older that, um, you know, people go, oh, you know, you're adopted. Um, I would be thinking, yeah, I'm really, really wanted. You know, I I always thought that was great. And you could see sometimes people felt a bit different about that. And then when mum died, um, yeah, it felt a little bit, uh, which I think it would feel for anyone, you know, there was that loss. But when my dad died, then there was a loss of all connection. And all of a sudden I realized I'm in the world with no, no blood um, relatives. There was, there was no one, I guess, like me growing up. You know, most families, they can see, oh, there's my auntie or my uncle or my grandparent, and there's something that's similar. So I guess being adopted... Uh, I was always, always pushing myself a little bit. I've heard from a couple of adopted um, people that tend to do that. We are always proving that we're worthy, perhaps.
1: Well, I think everything that I've seen, everything that I've heard, and whenever I've had the pleasure of being in your company, there is certainly an absolute revelation around how extraordinary you are not knowing that you've always perhaps pushed yourself that little bit to prove your worthiness. I can say hand on heart, there is no need to prove it. We all see it. And I'm really grateful that you shared that. And I'm really grateful that for you, you had such a privileged upbringing It must be challenging for parents to actually embrace these children, but you are absolutely right. From all the people I've had the pleasure of interviewing or being around that are adopted parents, they truly want that beautiful child. And there's so many stories and backgrounds to each individual, as you say. But I would say also for you, Catherine, it's created this incredible desire to be someone, as you said, to serve now when you think about that and you go through the fact that your mum died so suddenly, how did that crisis then support you to step in and support and want to serve others, knowing that that was such a critical amount of loss for you, especially at such a young age?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? i I guess the serving started at home. So wanting to step in to make things as comfortable still for my dad coming home from work and for well, my brother, you know, going and getting groceries and cooking meals and cleaning on the weekends and things like that um, was probably that first lot of service that I really, um, really did, you know,
1: to, to make others feel, feel better about walking in the door. So as we look at that then, serving, it is something that I think in this day and age is certainly lacking when it comes to customer service and certainly service of people online, maybe in the social media platforms, maybe even standing on stage as a speaker. Is there a mantra or is there something that Catherine Malloy absolutely instigates or initiates every time she sets on steps on stage or when she steps into supporting leaders to be greater versions of themselves? What is your background or intention behind always creating such a beautiful service?
0: You know, I I generally say first impressions matter and we make that first impression just seven seconds. And if it's a good one, it can lead to a job, an opportunity, or as all your listeners know here, even a date. Now, the thing that the first impression to me is so important, because when you wake up in the morning, what are the first thoughts you allow in? Sometimes I have other things and I just stop for a moment, be grateful. I loved that first breath of the day. (laughs) You know, when you, when you breathe it and you realize I'm alive and I'm awake, (laughs) it's all good.
1: (laughs) And it's certainly a privilege, right?
0: (laughs) certainly is. And I guess it starts there. And because of what had happened, you know, and I was left then in the world by myself, and I started to to learn about body language. Actually, Alan Pease did a set for Westpac, and so I used to take the cassettes home and watch them, and I would practice it, and I'd go to third world countries for for a holiday. I'd save up. I used to have about three jobs, and. I'd go overseas even before I was 18 and, you know, I started to learn about the handshake right back then and how people, what they transfer. And I, this is something that I always say. The language we use determines the quality of our life. Now, whether it's a spoken language, whether it's what's coming through non-verbally or just those are thoughts that we allow in or those thoughts that we allow to keep. These are the things for me that I want to share with the world to to allow them to, you know, get rid of some of these these self-beliefs that we have that is detrimental to us and to start to be more conscious, be more present. For me, it's about being present with the people that I'm with at that time and I think that's why the service is so strong because when I'm with you, I want to to do the, the best that I can for you and with you and to listen to you and just be the best version of me at that moment in time.
1: Yeah, it's a very powerful, incredible intention to have when you think about it and probably why such a big part of your success is actually stepping into that truth of being fully present. One thing you just gently mentioned there was about our belief or maybe for a lot of us, our lack of self-belief you know, you've come from a a challenged upbringing in some ways, and you've had to certainly endure many things, but where have you found your self-belief? Probably more importantly, how would you tell someone how to find theirs?
0: You know, that's interesting because I really love working with behaviors, just that raw behavior style, you know, whether we're, we're dominant or we're more influential, you know, steady or compliant and Uh, As a child, I was more of that I influential, loved people, or you understand this better than anyone can, (laughs) you know, running around the playground, having this great time. So for me, I think it was a little bit easier. So it's not as easy for some people. But because I was, uh, I always thought of my parents as this big tree and I could climb up and, you know, I'd go to the furthest branch every now and then and fall off, but I could always get back on. And I think for children that have that safety, that security, that they can test things and trial things and they're still going to be okay, I think that we uh, take risks a little bit more. And when you do take risks a little bit more, you have to rely on yourself a little bit more. <laughs> and that's why they say travel is is so great uh, for our mind, for our communication, for problem solving. So I had to do a lot of problem solving when I was younger. And if it didn't work, I just learned that that didn't work, what will work. And so for me it was life has just been a whole journey of what will work <laughs> and what will help what will help others make this work for them as well
1: such a beautiful mantra, though. What will work? And it's such a problem-solving approach as opposed to a problem-thinking approach and constantly staying in the detriment of that problem. Many of us face problems, Catherine, whether it's business, relationship, financial, health, there is always problems to challenge us or maybe to serve us if we look at it from an even bigger perspective. But in your humble opinion, when you do come across a problem or when you do find something that's challenging you, is there a process that you go through to solve that problem? Is there a certain brand of questions you ask? How would you tell someone if they came to you and said, I've got a real problem with my job or my relationship or my business or my leadership skills? Is there a process that Catherine Malloy offers to others?
0: Look, I do have a process and I always love to take people back to an eight-step foundation that we set in place first before we shoot off trying to solve the world's problems and our problems. So I think that's really, really important is taking a step back. However, if it was quickly me, something comes up, I always look at what is that end result. I'm quite strategic, so I love seeing wh- where do we want to go, what do we want to do, and what steps can we do to get there. And if we hit a step that's not right, what would you normally do? You would either have to go over it, go around it, take a step back, find a different way. And so I guess that's how my mind works. It looks for the gaps. I used to, be, I used to play soccer, right, <laughs> and they had me as center. I was number nine. And if you look at the person where you're kicking the ball, your ball won't go into the gap for the goal. You've always got to look for the gap. So when I was teaching the children when they were playing soccer, it was always look for the gap, look for the gap. And I, I believe that we see the obstacle, but we forget about looking for the gap. So I encourage people to perhaps not look at the obstacle or to see it a little bit differently.
1: I love that. And often when we're looking for the gap, that gives us a whole lot of possibility and potentiality. Like mm. there's an unknown and, a, and it could even be greater than that. Do you personally believe that problems are, to, are there to, to make us better humans? I'm not yet to meet anyone who hasn't had a life that's had some challenge or problems or things that they've faced. But you can see there's two types of people. They manifest such a way to work through those problems and come out bigger, better versions of themselves And there's some, sadly, who become the outcast of their problems or they become their problems and that becomes their story. And sadly, they continue to often create more self-sabotaging problems and stories. How do you support people to get out of that past story or even change and have a new perspective on a new possibility by going into that gap?
0: Mm. you gave me goosebumps in the first sentence that you said, so it'll be interesting to listen to that again around problems. Um, You know, by the age of nine, researchers are telling us that we develop beliefs, limiting beliefs, you know, and stories, and they can go like this. I'm not loved. I don't belong. I'm not good enough. And we're triggered through life because of these limiting beliefs. And I think courage comes from that day when we're more vulnerable with ourselves, which is always not too much fun, right? But we need to be vulnerable with ourselves to see these beliefs for what they are and to break this this cycle. So I have been told so many times in my life, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, you know, John even used to say to me, oh, you wouldn't be able to to do this in the business. Oh, you don't know about that. You wouldn't be able to do that. It was interesting because I went in and not only that, in the recession after four weeks, I sold five houses on one day, sorry, three houses on one day and five in a week. And it was a record for the 20-year company. So I look at problems just a little bit differently more of an opportunity. And, you know, there are some people, when you say you can't do this, they get in their head, just watch me. And um, fortunately, and
1: unfortunately, I'm a little bit of one of those people. (laughs) I think it's fortunate, man. I think it's amazing. (laughs) And also too, it's a bit like a red rag to the ball. What do you mean? I can't. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. What what
0: What are you saying to me? So when you say obstacles, you know, do, are we given these problems in life? Do they keep throwing? Have you ever had one problem that continually comes up, maybe even five years after it and then five years again or something because perhaps we didn't deal with it well enough the first time?
1: No, I think also, too, when you look at it in that way, maybe we haven't learnt the lesson, which is why mm-hmm. the universe keeps providing it to us, right? Yeah. And so do you think then with your strategic corporate beautiful brain that you use, Is there a difference from a corporate world to a personal world as one a metaphor for the other in your humble opinion? I just have always believed in
0: integration. What we learn in business, we can apply at home. What we learn at home and through life, we can apply in business. I don't think we need to separate ourselves. I don't think we're supposed to separate our our mind, our, our heart, our spirit, um, that gut instinct, I believe that we can carry ourselves around this world as a whole being. And what we learn from others, every single person on this planet is a resource. And the reason I do what I do, even as a child, listen to this, Kim, <laughs> I used to get all the kids in the neighborhood, they used to come to my house on a Monday and Tuesday afternoon in the room and I had this flip chart and this green um, felt board and on a Sunday night I used to write the top 10 countdown songs and then um, on that Monday and Tuesday everyone would learn the songs in order and then we'd jump on our bikes and ride around with the street with a road run running gang and then the lights would come on and we'd all shoot home for dinner so that was our Monday Tuesdays and it was interesting because after this crisis that happened in our family and I started the training company, I remember writing on this flip chart in my training room uh, for the diploma of management. I turned around and I saw all these beautiful people in the room from all different areas, banking, finance. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what i meant to do because this is what I did as a child. And I just looked at that. It was just that moment in time where I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like a full circle. And you know that you're on track. And I I encourage people, you know, if you are battling uphill, if you're not feeling great about what you're doing, I think it's really important for us to stop for a moment and think as a child. What was it that we loved? Did we love to dance? Did we want to put our run with our feet in the grass? Um, even at night, I will always step out and look up at the sky and see the stars. No matter what country I'm in, you know, and put my feet in the in the grass each day. And I think it's really important that all of us, for great self care, for 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 self love, for filling our cup up, is to remind us what did we love to do as a child. My my daughter's boyfriend came over one day. I didn't know he was there and I had the music up and I was dancing around, you know, and he goes, oh, I'll never forget that time I walked in and just saw you, didn't know I was there. And he said, it was just great. But as a kid, what did I love to do the most? Put on music and dance. And I think our soul just says thank you every time that
1: we remember who we are. So beautiful. So often as we become adults, We think maturing is letting go of that childlike behavior, but I think a real full-bodied embracing of what it means to be an adult is taking the child, that inner child with us. Does that apply to you in business? Because many people find business, money, that side of things can have quite a heavy connotation. And yet, as you were saying, when you find something you love, be in a place of service with integrity and vulnerability, you could actually have fun with that do you ensure that that's part of your business profile as well?
0: I could not do what I do if it wasn't fun. No way in the world am I going to waste my life doing something that I hate. So even when I go to stage, I have music coming up when I go on stage. And when I finish, because it's part of me. No, I I love that. I love that. And I don't believe people can learn if they don't feel great, if they're not happy, if They're doing things they don't want to do. And I have seen groups where people go, oh, I'll do that. Yep, I'll do that. And then within a month, they're whinging, saying that they're doing everything. And they don't realize that someone else would do it if they didn't keep saying that they'll do it. And I think if you ever find yourself whinging about something, then you shouldn't do it because you will not be making yourself happy and you will not be making the other people happy either.
1: So true, isn't it? Just backtrack a little bit then, or maybe even look forward, depending on where you're sitting, as you think at your look over your life and all the things that have happened, knowing that there's no accidents and certainly no random acts of anything, that there's a purpose behind it. What do you think for you personally has been your greatest inspiration? I know we've heard some of your trials. Is there certain people or is there certain things? Or I guess ultimately, what is your why? What inspires you and why? Oh my gosh, Ken.
0: You've just taken me right back to you don't know, no one can replace us on the planet. There is no one like you, there is no one like me, there is no one like the person listening. You're one of a kind. You you are more valuable than the Mona Lisa. But people don't always see the value in themselves and the value in others. And sorry if this offends anyone, but I could have been that choice in the bucket but somebody carried me for 9 months came to Australia and gave birth to me here and loved me enough to do that and to go back and so i always had this thing of of honoring that of knowing that i think anyone that has been born on that, this planet that's all of us someone has gone through a lot to have you and we are all we are all love and you know I, I have a great Christian faith. And so we all have unique gifts. Just some of us forget that we do. Some of us have listened to other people telling us we can't do this and we can't do that. And my when my when I started and I started to run this business and then sold over a million the first year, my husband turned around and every idea I come up with, he now says, Oh, you could do that. After all the times I was told I couldn't. So I think when you believe in yourself, others believe in you too. You can't wait for someone to believe in you. You've just got to believe in in what you want to do and, and have that passion to follow it. You
1: really have to be the example to create that ripple effect. And do you believe then if you're not quite feeling it, there's a couple of people that would say they believe in this or they don't, but fake it till you make it. Is there any truth in that for you? Or is it about just honoring that? Like, what does that statement fake it till you make it mean to you?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people can either be offended by it, or or they like it. And, And some people they say, you know, fake, I really don't, I really don't under understand it. So if I was to say anything, I would say, fake it till you believe it then. You know, if you are wanting to do this, well, just believe that you can. Just just, just step into it and see what happens. What happens most of the time in people's head is there's fear that stops them, you know. And so I say face everything and rise. If you have an idea or you think you think a thought that you might like to do, what's the worst that could happen if you just, stepped into it and tried it, what if it didn't work? It's not the end, is it? But what if it did work? And, you know, when I first thought of this training company, I never thought it was going to fail. I never thought I wouldn't be able to do it. I just wanted to add that value and address the pain points um, of customers.
1: You've done it so incredibly well. Let's talk about then all the things that you've created. Do you have a particular story that lights you up the most about maybe a speech that you've given, some impact you've had on a company, a corporation or an individual? Is there something that has really touched you deep to the core, no matter what, and makes you realize you are doing the right thing?
0: Oh, Kim, there. if you'd asked me that 10 years ago, probably there have just been so, so many experiences. And messages that come from people and even sometimes you end up somewhere in the world five years later and someone will come up to you and say, Kathy won't believe what happened after seeing um seeing that talk and, and this is what I've done with my life. And it's just it's just it feels like a miracle. But I know it's not. I know that I am just just that vessel that's been given these opportunities to to go forward and to share and just to bring out the best in in each person. Um, can you give me that question again, Kim? Because I, I lost my way.
1: I think it's more like, I think you've, you've actually nailed the answering of it. But ultimately, you don't believe that it's a miracle. Like it's, it is actually a truth that the the person or people or corporations or individuals, the fact that they can come back to you with a one five year period and say, thanks, because of you or because of this, I've done that. You've had so many different stories that have inspired you. But I know through the end of being a businesswoman and an entrepreneur and a speaker and a giver and a server, some days they can be quite challenging. And so I guess my question really comes back to sometimes we only need one person to tell us that it was thanks to something you said or a book that you've written or a talk that you gave that they have managed to rise above or to keep going. And I was just curious if there was anything oh. that particularly stood out to you yeah. as a, a mindful moment that you went, oh, I'm so glad I do what I do.
0: Yeah. So there, there was, a, there's, you know, a couple, but I remember this one time I was opening a conference and the second day closing the conference. Like that has never happened before. And it was for real estate, which I totally love. And so the first one was a million-dollar handshake. So I had to fly on the Sunday night from an event that I was speaking in in Sydney to get to Brisbane to deliver for the Monday morning. And i just come off um, another three days away. So I was feeling like a little anxious and I hadn't had time to prepare the second talk because it was one that they wanted me to deliver. And it was around mindset. I forget the exact title of it now. So we did the Million Dollar Handshake. Everyone loved it. So then I locked myself away to get this next talk right because for for a keynote, I will just, you know, the slides turn behind me at the right time. You know, I've got to be, you know, it's just there's a system for everything and to take people to where you want them to go, you know, you want to be as professional as possible. So anyway, I got up to deliver this next one. And sometimes you're not hundred percent sure what's going to come out of your mouth, but I just know that whatever it will be will be for that audience that time. And by the end of it, and, and everyone was up dancing on stage at the end, and they were saying that's the best keynote we've ever had at conference. They've been running it for five years. And it was just like, wow, <laughs> great. And so that was this, you know, a massive surprise too, because sometimes. All, you know, all I do is really have have faith. I, I know the information in and out, but, you know, we have to pull it together for, for different talks, for different people at different times. And so I really thought I am doing what I should be doing. And I got off one stage at the Gold Coast Conference Centre and I barely put my foot outside the door and I got a call from ICMI who had booked me for this event and they said, oh, we've just got a call Um from Cobra, and I said, Oh my goodness. I said, Is everything okay? Because I've just got off stage and the clients already rung them. And they said, "I." Oh, they said, Well, they said they didn't know you were going to be as funny as you were. And I said, Oh, thinking, Oh my gosh, this is a big problem. And they said, No, they love it and want to rebook you again. <laughs> and then we had a laugh, but that was such a shock because. Um, I've never had anyone call me, you know, within, I don't know, five minutes of walking off the stage. So, so it does, those little things reaffirm. And I remember one time I had to do a um, talk with COVID. We had 40,000 HR managers online. And I didn't hear from the company that had booked us because usually they would get back to you in the next couple of hours just to say thank you or something. And I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard. And I said to John, I don't know how it went. You know, it was a webinar. You couldn't see anybody. I was just talking to the screen. And anyway, I eventually picked up the courage to have a call. Oh no, we've called everybody. No, it's fantastic. You know, it's just those moments in time that you have that little bit of self doubt um, because we're humans. And you know, when you, you don't expect to be spectacular every time, but we do try our best. So, Uh, Yes, I think when people get back to you and let you know what's
1: happening, it um, certainly makes a difference. So I love to do that to people as well. Okay, well, I'm going to ask the opposite then. Have you ever walked off stage? Because so many people look at speakers, particularly good ones like yourself, and look at it and see it's quite effortless. But it's not until you stand up there and speak. And someone else said to me, ever hug a speaker after they've got off stage, you'll notice how hot they are, how sweaty they've given everything. They, they are actually really so present and in the moment. Have you ever walked off stage and gone, Oh my gosh, that was the worst thing I've ever done. Have you ever had a failure? If that's the correct word, <laughs> you probably have to ask the audience that. I'm
0: not quite sure, but um, you know, it's funny because I don't get that hot and sweaty after anything. Like, I just feel, I don't know, I just feel this great big uh, warmth of the audience, like this connectedness. The first time I spoke in front of three thousand three hundred people. The room was so connected and I just realised that, you know, my thought of you can only really work with 20 at a time to make a difference was wrong because what we believe isn't always right. You can you can make a difference as long as you have the audience in mind. There's been times when I've walked off and thought, oh, my gosh, um, I'll let you know, Kim, when I first started and I was doing the keynote and they had 45 minutes and I was in probably about 15 minutes and I just saw in my head all the things I had left to say and to do and it seemed like a long time. I remember this would happen, this probably happened I reckon maybe 10 times to me where all of a sudden I saw the keynote ahead of me and it felt like oh, it's going to be a long time until I leave the stage <laughs> But for me, um, getting people up on the stage and doing things with them and letting them feel it and letting the audience see it and then practising those tools um, has, has brought them on the journey, journey with me as well, and I think that might make the difference and uh, I get to connect better with them because I'm obviously talking about connecting and communicating, so perhaps it um,
1: creates more of a bond within the audience. So beautiful. Let's talk then about this award-winning conscious connection framework that you've personally created. You say it's a holistic roadmap. Could you explain to us a little bit about what that is? Just in case someone's listening to this and goes, I really want to have her speak at our event, or I'd love to know more about this. Can you explain to us the conscious connection framework?
0: Okay. So as a body language um, expert, I've been speaking on body language for a long time. And what we know is, you know, 55% of what people remember comes through from the body. Uh, Our minds and those thoughts that come in, the words that come out, people only remember around 7%, but 38% is the tonality. And so I started to look look at these tools and work with a lot of people. And I realized that For me, this conscious connection framework we put together was, you know, it starts with you and me, the conversations, and then our body language comes into it. So I work in that area. The second tool is our mindset and being mindful, you know, being mindful of self, being mindful of others, being mindful of the context in which we speak. And the third part to the conscious connection framework is our behaviors, understanding how we're likely to react. So when everything's perfect, everyone can be perfect, can't they? But how are you likely to react under pressure? Because that is the domino effect. And, you know, once we start putting holes in things, it's very hard to putty them up and for people to forget. So I put these three things together, our body language, our mindset, and our behaviors to create a level playing field. And that's where we create the win-wins, you know, so that there's no more win-losses all the time. Now, can you control what anyone else will think or feel when you speak to them? No. No. Can you control how you will think or feel? Yes. Yes. So most of the time, you know, I'll say, you know, from zero to 100%, how much control do you have (laughs) of how you'll react you know, and most people be around 50%, but in actual fact, we've got 100%. It's just that we're not present in those moments. So the conscious connection framework is bringing us back into the present and allowing us to understand that we react before we speak. I'll say that again. We react before we speak, and this is where most miscommunication happens. And it's why husbands and wives or partners can fight for up to two days because they raise of an eyebrow at the wrong time. And then that's true that And think about that.
1: <laughs> and when we even acknowledge that there's certain things with the people we love the most that can create such conflict and such a win loss or loss loss situation, then I guess it comes back to. How do we then repair in those situations? And so do you have a roadmap or a conscious um, insight or tip that when we do realize we've raised the eyebrow at the wrong time, or maybe we've said the wrong thing, or maybe we've offended someone, even unintentionally, is there a roadmap back from that that you can quickly repair in your humble opinion?
0: I absolutely totally believe there is a lot of us will think, oh, they thought that or something, we'll make up a story for them instead of using our words and actually just asking, look, I'm sorry, did I say anything that may have offended you? Or, or, uh, you know, just just asking the question, is everything okay? Have I I done anything that wasn't quite right at the moment? You know, sometimes I don't always think before I speak. Uh, Because generally... A person may change the, the way that they're looking or thinking to you, but also we've got to understand that they might have thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't get the steak out for dinner right now. And so instead of making up a story for them, sometimes we just need to ask, is everything okay? And they might say, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I forgot I didn't get the steak out. And it just came through my head. You know, But instead we make up these stories and then think, oh, that person didn't like what I said, so what I said was good. I don't think I'm going to have a relationship with them. They're not the right person. But we don't actually use our words to ask what's happening. And if you were talking to me and then all of a sudden I had a thought come through my head, I should be the one then to say, I'm so sorry, I just missed that. A thought just came through my head. I had to get meat out. I'm so sorry. What were you saying? And. The thing can is, can I just, can I just ask words. you something
1: here? Yes. Before you were saying it's 55% physiology or our body, a mm-hmm. 38% tonality and 7% words. And yet now we're saying to repair something, our words mean so much. Is that with the other things involved as well? Or is it just not making assumptions and creating a possibility for an opening of a conversation to repair that?
0: I love that. Yes. So while we are while we are speaking those words, our body language will match our words. So we will open, our tone will change and they'll be, they'll be listening to us. So it's not like it's just words being said by themselves. I need to be present. So my tonality is, is really not like, oh, oh, what are you thinking? Or what, have I said something to offend you? It's the way that we say it. It's the way that our, if I cross my arms and said that to you, what have I said something to offend you? Obviously, you're going to say no and walk away and think I'm not talking to her again so it is still or we can't separate we shouldn't separate we should be present in those moments and understand uh to to soften to have a look what what is our stance of our body language right now how could I be affecting that conversation instead of trying to read people all the time I encourage people to read themselves and to have a look at what position is my body language right now what what is my tonality what's going through my head? and if i feel if I perceive that there could be miscommunication then I would ask so I was in China probably about the third time that I was over there speaking and I was at a meeting with one of the universities and I had a translator with me and so as I were talking you know I'd speak then they'd discuss it and come back to me I, I was watching and I said oh excuse me excuse me no 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 that's not what I meant um, and they both looked at me and went oh you speak Mandarin <laughs> And I said, oh, no, no, just body language. <laughs> so, oh <my> gosh. <laughs> so by watching it as well, I was like, oh. she sh- she should be smiling right now from what we've just said. So then I re-explained it to the translator, and then she re-explained it, and then we got the result we needed.
1: I think that's a really powerful insight. We are visual creatures, a lot of us, and many of us like to see things to truly experience or understand it. From your perspective, then, as a body language expert, are there certain things I know that we've seen um, when people are angry, certain facial expressions will occur as opposed to surprise, arms crossed, as you just mentioned, um, turning away as opposed to turning towards? Is there something, is there a tip that you can give us to be better body language expressors, if that's the right word? How do we be better, better body language expressors?
0: Oh, there's so many things, but I will I will say this. During COVID, the government told everyone not to touch their face. And I've been telling people this for years. So not only will it save you from transferring flus to yourself or perhaps COVID, I've got a friend flying home at the moment who's got COVID from Singapore. Not only that, but what it does is it takes away people making up stories for you. So for instance, if I was touching my eyes right now, while you're saying something to me, you might think, oh, something she doesn't, she doesn't want to see right now. And if I'm rubbing my neck, I've got a pain in my neck. If I'm touching my nose, perhaps I'm a bit frustrated. I'm covering my mouth. Maybe I'm keeping something back. So one of the most important things that I, that I teach people when they're uh, you know, on Zoom, when they're doing webinars, when they're going virtually, just don't touch your face. Try and give people reason. You know, if you have hair that flops in your eyes all the time, then use a little pin and pin that back. So you're not constantly playing with your hair while you're speaking people because it takes their attention away from the words you're saying. So that would probably be one of the biggest tips, and I'll keep you healthy as well <laughs> as um, being more influential when you don't touch face.
1: Oh, so powerful, and I think if we could just understand these these I guess nuances these Mm. little things that we do on a daily basis I want to check in with you then a lot of what you talk about and what a lot of what we've been discussing today is around kind of programming how we were brought up how we were taught what someone said that we led to believe or not believe all of this is around the brain and the programming so nothing is really true except how we see it to be true or what we think is true How do you encourage people to look at what they've always thought is true and actually being that open to change that whole perspective? Is there something around that, in your humble opinion, that allows people to be even greater versions of themselves when they don't stay so stuck on one way of being programmed?
0: Yeah, some people will not uh, unlearn and what they think is right because if they find out that it's not right, then that means they're wrong. And ego won't allow them to be wrong. So one one of the most important things I ask, is that serving you? Or how is that serving you? When they get stuck in their idea, stuck in their principle, how does that serve you? And if they look at it and they find out that it's actually holding them back, that it's actually causing problems in their life, that it's actually causing breakups in friendships, that actually causes them from stop uh, developing relationships with their team members, then it's not serving you. And maybe, just maybe, you could look at that a little differently. One of the tools I do when an idea, you know, when something comes into my head, oh, Kath, you didn't get booked to that. You didn't get booked for that one. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe they don't like you. You know, really? This is what the mind does to protect us from not stepping out again and not doing things again. It's like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. I'll acknowledge it. I'll let it go, and then I can bring in bring in a positive thought. You know, I was speaking to some speakers the other day, and they said you would not be in this business if you didn't know how to take no for an answer. <laughs> so, Gosh, isn't that know, the truth? <laughs> and no, just leads you to the next. Yet, <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> it's right. It's not there, but it is here. So, if you give up with your first no, and if you've learned. Um, that no is a reflection on you, then I would love you to take another look at that and, and think of that a different way. Oh, it's only no to that. What, where could I get my
1: yes? I really appreciate that because so many people see no as a failure, but maybe you're not the right speaker for that audience. Maybe you're not. that's not the right audience for your knowledge or your skill. And if it isn't, and that's great, you've been turned away. Well, it leaves the door open for someone or something that is way bigger and better for you. What's been the biggest audience you've spoken to? And can you tell us a little bit about your TEDx talk? Our biggest
0: audience was uh, so far today for 3,300. And yeah, the energy was just phenomenal. And the TEDx talk, it was over an island. So what what a beautiful it's here? How I said island. <laughs> it's a, such a beautiful spot and the people are lovely and their voice just rolls on. So I was very um lucky I was over in UK and I was heading over and a friend of mine here said, hey car, uh The talk over there is Be The Change. Uh, Would you like to apply? And I said, oh, Be The Change. That sounds like something I love to talk about. And um, I just used a a, a simple conversation that my husband and I had for this TED Talk. It's not the TED Talk that I really want to give. And but unfortunately, with the TED X's, they go through so much that they said it's best not to put research into it. Don't do this and don't do that. Because it takes too long to go up. So I took what I, I took a conversation and I hacked the conversation because this is a simple conversation that happens in everyone's lives. And it's how we can get into an argument without even speaking a word. So having a look at that and then how to bring it back. And a lot of the times when you ask me before, you know, that simple sorry, uh, but meaning it you know, using the right tone in the body language can make a massive, massive difference. And so in that uh, TED Talk, we also bring in the power of three, which is our body language, our mindset and our behaviours. For me, it's like the chicken and the egg. Is it the, the body that goes down or is it the mind that goes down? You know, it all links. At different times, it could be different. But usually when the mind thinks something, you'll notice the body will be sagging, the head will go down. And so if we can change our state quite quickly, we can change the way we think. It doesn't mean it's going to stay like that. You might have to do this a hundred times a day, (laughs) but it becomes easier. It's like becoming an Olympic swimmer. You need a coach. You need to practice the tools you've been given. If you don't practice the tools you've been given, then nothing changes. And if nothing changes, nothing changes.
1: Do you think then, when you look back on your life at this particular point, knowing there's quite a few years and input and and contribution left for you to make, do you think then everything you talk about, understanding who we are, coming from a better perspective, always being your best, trying to change and learn and develop and grow and be open to new perspectives, new learnings. I mean, this really is all about self-development and part of self-development is loving oneself. And so, when you look at loving yourself enough to develop yourself more, be open to change, drop the ego, be a better version of you, how would you then link the two, self love and self development, being a better version of yourself? What does self love mean to you? So, self love
0: for me, you know, when I think of it, would be putting the feet in the ground, looking up at the stars. And self development for for me is looking internally at who i am one of the greatest tools and gifts we've all been given is the gift of reflection and i think having that time each day i think this has been one of the biggest tools that i've used throughout my life is that didn't go too well that conversation what happens and it's just the way my mind works it likes to dissect things to work out what could i have done better or hey that went really well what did i do Right, I need to do that again, and so maybe self love for me has been talking to myself. Um, I have, I have a great belief um, in in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and so I talk a lot to them and to my past mum. And what would you do now? <laughs> and I think those are the things. Self care, of course, you know, is having a massage or. You know having a spa or doing something with my friends, but um the self self love for me is just knowing that we we are loved, we are born with love, and I think at the end of our days, on our bed, it won't be how many people did I speak to? It won't be anything of that, but um, did I love enough and was I loved?
1: Oh, such a beautiful, powerful message. And ultimately, if you've ever read the book, Five Regrets, Five Regrets of the Dying, a lot of that, it does not come back to how many followers, how much money, how many people we spoke to. You're absolutely right. It was the connection. It was the love. It was the level of experiences that they either regretted or were very grateful for had they done that. And so, you know, I appreciate you and I, we've known each other a number of years and had the privilege of being at things like the PJ Summit, where we actually really got to embrace in three or four days of connection and friendship with beautiful entrepreneurs and women here on the Sunshine Coast. As you think about that, as you look at what it means to be here on the coast, knowing that there are no regrets and that you've continuously given and stand in a place of service. What would you say to the person listening to this podcast? What would be your gift or your, maybe some parting words that would make them live up to being their best version of themselves, knowing we only get one shot at this?
0: Remember who you are and what did you love as a child? And I know I've said this before, but right now I'm riding horses. What did I do as a child? I jumped on a horse whenever I could get on a horse. (laughs) Going for those walks in nature, dancing, swimming. These are all the things I did as a child and I do today. And it's not like going out and acting like a child, but it is taking that child with you and doing those things that make your heart sing. So whatever you are doing on this planet, please embrace who you are and love you for who you are. No matter, I cannot worry what one person says about me because what they say is is their opinion. I can't alter that. All I can do is to be true to myself and to be true to who you are on the planet. So if if you're being held back from stepping into who you want to be because of what people might say, then I encourage you to not even worry about what anyone will say. They will say what they want anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's time for you to believe in you. So love this. So love
1: it. What would be if someone wanted to follow you, learn from you, and see all the incredible work that you're doing? How can we follow the beautiful Catherine Malloy?
0: Oh my goodness. I'm on Instagram as Catherine Malloy Speaker. I'm on Facebook as Catherine Malloy and LinkedIn as Catherine Malloy. Uh, There's YouTube channels. Um, I can throw through some things to you, Kim. But yes, I think it's quite easy to jump on. On the website is a great one. If you um, jump in there, you can get monthly information and
1: get access to some online content. Well, that's katherinemolloy.com.au, malloy.com.au And I can honestly say if you reach out to this amazing soul, you will see some fantastic resources and information on there. And darling Girl, as we come to a close, thank you so much for all your time, your energy, your beauty, your grace, your knowledge, your intellect, your power, everything that it is you contribute to this planet. And let's just selfishly say to the Sunshine Coast, I would just love to ask for a closing, your favorite quote at the moment and what that means to you. So many
0: quotes, but I'm thinking back to a time in Kolkata when I was in Mother Teresa's home and I saw on the wall, if you want to make a difference, go home and love your family.
1: And as you say those words, it kind of touches my heart because it's so simple. If you want to make a difference, go home and love your family. Yep. And ultimately, everything comes back to family, whether it's one of you, your family with yourself, maybe in your inner child, your partner, your relationships, your children, your extended family, even your community can be part of your family. Is that something that's really important to you, community, especially knowing what an incredible community we have here on the coast? And finally, is that considered to be part of your family?
0: And with the extensive travel that I've done and working in many countries and working with orphans in places that they sleep in dirt, they wear rags you wouldn't wash your cars in, um, my family is global. I really believe that uh, wherever I lay my hat around the world, I really feel at home wherever I am with whoever I am. And so the community to me is very, very big. (laughs) And I love that. I guess it comes back to being adopted. I feel like the world's adopted me. (laughs) And I've called the Sunshine Coast my home for 57 years. So this is a very special place. And the women... And the men and the children that are living here now are absolutely incredible. And thank you for embracing
1: me. It's very easy to embrace someone like you, my love. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. It has been an absolute delight and honor to have you on here. And I just want to thank you wholeheartedly, hand on heart, for the work and the contribution that you make. It's a gift, and we truly do see you, we feel you, and we honestly love you. Thank you, gorgeous Catherine.
0: Thank you, Kim, and ditto to all of that.
1: (laughs)